Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.59 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 26th of August, 2021, and this is episode 468 of Bitcoin, and one of our good friends got fired. Yep. I'm going to start this one off with Bitcoin Sandy, which is at Sandy Bitcoin on Twitter. Uh, Wrote this morning, sacked for not taking the poison. And not one of my co-workers has texted to see how I am. The dark ages indeed with slave control. So because Sandy decided not to get vaccinated, uh, now the, the, the employer has fired Sandy. Fired, you know, fired, just whatever. There's no protection for the citizenry of the world at this point. The only thing that we're going to be able to do is to protect ourselves. Thank God for Bitcoin. But the transition, ladies and gentlemen, is going to be pretty harsh. It's going to be severe no matter what we do. All right. So be gird your loins, boys and girls, because the shit's coming down the pipe. Um, now, with that said, it is good that Bitcoin is here because if it wasn't here, There would be no light at the end of the tunnel, but the tunnel we must go through. That tunnel will be dark. So again, you know, gird gird your loins because this is getting bad. If you want to reach out, um, if you've got like um, some work, I don't know what Sandy does, uh, but, you know, if you want to reach out, give a hand. If you've got like an online job or something like that, that that Sandy would be able to perform. And like I said, I have no idea what Sandy does for a living. But, you know, take the time to reach out to a fellow pleb, you know, and and see what see see if you can do anything. Again, that is at Sandy Bitcoin, S-A-N-D-Y-B-I-T-C-O-I-N. Moving on to happier news. <clears throat> and I've, I may have mentioned this and may not. I don't think I have. But Shamari, the makers of the Shamari-based Bitcoin and mining memory game, have released another product. This one is a book. It's called Goodnight Bitcoin Book. And it features all the cute little monsters um, that are on the Shamari cards. It features like them and probably some new monsters in a new book by Scott and Mallory Sibley, which are the people behind the whole Shamari card game in the first place. The description is, your kids will love following the story of Satoshi and Hal as they attempt to create the impossible, a new money called Bitcoin. These smart little monsters will come together to change the world one Bitcoin block at a time. Will they reach their goal and take Bitcoin to the moon? Only time will tell, so cuddle up as a family and start reading together. Yes, it's a children's book. (coughs) <coughs> if I didn't have to say that, but 
you never know. You never know. Anyway, again, uh, support the guys over at Shamari. That's shamari.com, S-H-A-M-O-R-Y.com. Yeah, pick up the card game, which, by the way, is a STEM, uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, authenticated product. Those are not all that easy to get. Uh, I remember announcing that when they did get that, um, that authentication, I think it was like last year or something like that. That was kind of a big deal for them. So now they've got a book. So go to shamari.com and if you want to pick up their book and help support the Sibley family and what they're doing, uh, please do. Now, <clears throat> if you did not see my tweet yesterday, I'm going to read this story from BTC Times. Bitcoin hash rate recovers as miners leave China behind. Oh, who's the author? Oh, well, look, it's Jeannie Bennett. Uh, why do I recognize that name? Uh, oh yeah, that's my wife. Okay, before we start this, <laughs> um, my wife is falling down the rabbit hole. She has left academia for good. She basically gave the academy, and when I say the academy, <clears throat> what I mean by academia or the academy is higher education, i.e. colleges and universities, not high school level, not elementary level. This woman loved to teach and she got ramrodded by the academy because the academy at this point is so broken, so full of itself, so indebted to itself that it cannot and will not appreciate high quality teachers. All my wife ever really wanted to do was teach people how to write. And it's one of those things where if you come at me by saying, oh, well, if you can't do teach, yeah, well, fuck you, okay? I don't need that bullshit. There are some people who actually have a calling in this life and some of them, that calling is teaching. And hers was teaching. And specifically, it was teaching people how to write. Because if you don't know, <clears throat> writing is hard. It's really hard. It's actually one of the hardest things you're ever going to do is be able to write and write well and clearly and effectively. And that's what she was doing as a technical communication uh, and rhetorician. That, was, that is what her PhD is in. She also has a master's in it. So she's been studying how to effectively communicate clearly for quite a while. And now... She's written her first piece for BTC Times. Congratulations, baby. Let's get into this one. This was uh, published yesterday. Bitcoin's hash rate is on a steady upward trajectory as miners switch their machines back on outside of China. Since its June low around the 84 exahashes per second mark, the hash rate has grown around 50%. China's crackdown on Bitcoin mining has contributed to a radical redistribution of the global Bitcoin hash rate. Following the country's recent implementation of new restrictions on Bitcoin mining amid its commitment to a new energy policy that aims to see China carbon neutral by 2060, Bitcoin mining operations have been shuttered in several Chinese provinces, including Qinghai, Sichuan, and Inner Mongolia. The crackdown on mining in China has raised many questions about the impact of what many call the Great Mining Migration. China has consistently dominated the cryptocurrency markets. In August of 2019, miners in China contributed just over 75% of the global Bitcoin hash rate, and this has fallen to 46% in March 2021. 
In what many are calling an exodus, miners are shuttering operations in China and moving operations to more Bitcoin-friendly regions. The hash rate migration has caused a shift in the locations of the top global hash rate contributors. The most dramatic increases in hash rate among the global community have occurred in the United States, Kazakhstan, Iran, Canada, and Germany, respectively. However, the move by China to crack down on cryptocurrency mining is having a positive impact, including opening more mining operations in the West. A market that once contributed only a fraction of the global Bitcoin hash rate, Bitcoin mining operations in the United States alone have seen their global share of Bitcoin hash rate increase from 4 to 17% since August of 2019. China's crackdown has opened up potentially lucrative opportunities for miners as other countries and even states within the United States such as Texas vie for their corner of the Bitcoin market. Mining operations in Canada and Germany have seen an increase in hash rate contributions as well, making these countries the seventh and eighth largest contributors, respectively. Iran is currently the fifth largest hash rate contributor, but problems continue to plague the future of mining there. In March of 2021, Iran was contributing 4.64% of the global hash rate, an increase in 2.9% percentage points since August of 2019. However, while the country has granted over 1,000 mining licenses to lure miners leaving China, it has also made moves to control the use of cryptocurrencies and recently banned mining for four months and seized over 7,000 mining machines in June amid that ban. Perhaps the biggest news resulting from the hash rate migration is that Kazakhstan has emerged as the third largest contributor to the global Bitcoin hash rate the Cambridge Bitcoin Electricity Index ranked Kazakhstan's average monthly hash rate share at 8.19%, a number that is sure to increase after BIT Mining announced its plans to deploy 2,500 Bitcoin miners in the Central Asian country. Recently, Shanghai-based The Nine has announced plans to build a crypto mining site in Kazakhstan with a promised capacity of 100 megawatts. Currently, cryptocurrency is treated as property in Kazakhstan rather than a form of currency. Ultimately, <clears throat> the crackdown in China has had a drastic impact on Bitcoin mining, but resilient as ever, the hash rate migration highlights a key ability of the network to do what it is designed to do, enable decentralization. Man, you know, <laughs> I actually read, uh, as you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I read a lot of articles. She's good. <laughs> She's good. I know we've talked about the whole hash rate mining migration a lot on this podcast, but what was I going to not do? I, was I not going to read my wife's very first article in the Bitcoin space? No, that's just dumb. That's like just saying, I would think I'm going to commit suicide today. So there you go. <clears throat> that was that was stupendous. Oh, and by the way, she's starting in on Safedine. Uh, Saifedean's book, The Bitcoin Standard, which she ordered while we were on vacation and it came a couple of days ago. So there you go. Oh, and she's on Twitter too. Um, ah, shit, I lost it. Anyway, uh, you'll hear more from her. She's going to be writing uh, quite a bit more material as we go forward. This one is at a Coindesk. Yeah, I know, I know, it's Coindesk. What, what am I going to do? It's David Pan though. And he's writing this one, uh, Bitcoin miners hold on to their rigs, betting the bull run will continue. Bullish. Some Bitcoin miners are sitting on their mining rigs in the hopes of selling them at a higher price as Bitcoin's rally continues. Quote, I know there is supply available. 
said Vincent Wong, director of sales and procurement at Bitcoin mining and hosting company Compass Mining. Quote, I've talked to a lot of people. They all have thousands of units, but nobody is willing to sell them, end quote. China's crackdown on crypto mining sent mining rigs prices plummeting a few months ago, but the machines are now trading at a premium thanks to Bitcoin's recent bull run. In recent weeks, Bitcoin has seen some of its largest gains this year, boosting sellers' confidence in the machine's prices in the future. Mining machines manufacturers like Bitmain and MicroBT allow their clients to pre-order the rigs and hold futures contracts for batches of machines that will be delivered on a predetermined future date. This practice has become more common as the coronavirus pandemic has slowed global logistics and created a crunch on the supply chain for materials to make the machines. The practice has come about also because major chip suppliers such as Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company or TSMC have recently uh, <clears throat> have relatively small quotas for specified chips for Bitcoin mining machine makers. Both futures and spot markets for mining machines have already seen a significant increase in mining machines prices, signaling miners bullish expectations on the largest cryptocurrency's price, according to industry pros. Thus, there has been a dynamic futures contract market for miners, brokers, and speculators who are making trades based on Bitcoin prices and other factors that affect machines' profitabilities like electricity cost. Quote, one of the major bellwethers for Bitcoin's market <coughs> is the mining machine's futures market, <coughs> said Frankie Hugh, chief business development officer at MyRig, a miner hosting service provider based in Russia. Quote, when futures contracts of mining rigs are trading at a much higher price than current price, miners are betting on higher Bitcoin prices, which leads to wider profit margin. End quote. Rig prices across the secondary spot markets appear to have bottomed out in July and have risen for three weeks in a row. The price <clears throat> for different mining machines saw a 7.5% increase on average last week, the biggest jump since the rebound, according to the rig price index by Seattle-based mining company Luxor. The growth rate of the price of rigs in the secondary market indicates buyers are pricing machines based on a bullish outlook. Oh, sorry, based on a bullish outlook for a Bitcoin price that can lead to wider profit margins, Ethan Vera, Luxor's chief operating officer, said. The price of the rigs is being set not only by how much the machinery itself is worth, but also by the expected profitability driven by market sentiment regarding the price of the Bitcoin those machines could mine. Quote, over the past three weeks, the rig prices have outrun Bitcoin price. It shows that it is not purely based on current economics, but also future sentiment. Earlier this week, Bitcoin recrossed the $50,000 mark and has been logging gains for five consecutive weeks, which marks the longest weekly winning streak in nine months. Quote, when Bitcoin price goes up, nobody has the incentive to sell their machines. There is a lot of upside potential, end quote. Miners and brokers raked in big profits during Bitcoin's bull run in the past by making well-timed trades. For example, the S9, which is one of the older models of mining machines made by Bitmain, was selling for up to $20 before last year's bull run. However, at the peak of the rally in late 2020, the same machines were selling for six to $700, which is 30 to 35 times higher. Trading mining rigs has become more strategic over time. Vuong even suggested that someone trading hardware might have been able to make money or more money than actually buying and holding Bitcoin itself. Even in the short-term bearish market, some sellers are opting to wait out by running their machines <coughs> on a hosting site, 
Doing so can generate daily profits, which can buy them more time while they wait for the bear market to pass, of Wong said. What's more, <clears throat> the sellers are generally able to realize a higher sale price on machines that are already plugged in. The machines on the shelf or the machine on the shelf is more valuable than those in a warehouse. Chinese miners were enthusiastic resellers in the first few months after the ban, resulting in a glut of secondhand machines on the market. The State Council of China called for a sweeping crypto ban on mining and trading in May, creating a massive market of used mining machines. Some of the large Chinese miners have been running mega mining farms, generating over one exahash per second before the crack crackdown after around 1 million mining rigs went offline in China, according to various estimates. Exahash is, <clears throat> is a measure of computational power. Yeah, 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 we know. Quote, <clears throat> the ban forced them to unplug all of their machines, which means they could lose millions of dollars every day. But now miners are thinking longer term. Miners are overall more patient in China, less frantic than they once were when the ban happened. Quote, they have come to terms with the fact that they are going to lose out on profitability this year and are spending more time thinking about how they are going to run their future operations. The massive market of used rigs has a price arbitrage mechanism that allows brokers to factor Bitcoin's price into how much a machine might sell for. At 11, every morning in Beijing, brokers in China update prices for mining machines and relay that information to brokers in North America. That daily update enables miners and brokers in China to factor Bitcoin's price into their rigs prices in a matter of hours. Quote, <clears throat> whenever the Bitcoin price goes up, the machine prices would increase in the next couple of hours. No seller would honor the deal with buyers for more than a day unless the two parties have a really good relationship, end quote. While it could take just a few hours to raise rigs prices, it generally takes two to three weeks for them to fall after Bitcoin prices drop, giving sellers enough time to adjust their prices. Quote, once you saw Bitcoin price dropping to around $30,000, it took more than three to four weeks before we started to see the hardware prices start to drop. Yet the risk for holding mining rigs still exists because the machines depreciate in value as they tend to deteriorate over time and miners might lose money sitting on a pile of machines in a warehouse if they cannot find places to operate them. Quote, Bitcoin mining now requires a lot more strategies. There are multiple ways to play it, and it is going to become less about who has the money to spend and more about who has the best future planning and strategy. So there you go. <clears throat> Mining rigs as a secondary, you know, secondary market, uh, apparently really robust. And that is good for Bitcoin, in my opinion. Now, uh, let's see here. Hold on for a sec. All right. Got my brain back with me. Brian Quarmby brings you this one out of Cointelegraph. Crypto soars to account for 73% of trading commissions on eToro in the second quarter. That's a lot of shitcoin. Uh, crypto grew to represent 73% of trading commissions on popular retail trading app eToro in the second quarter. They announced the Q2 results on August the 25th with the firm posting $362 million worth of total trading commissions and reporting its assets under management had reached $9.4 billion. In an investor update released on the same day, the firm outlined that crypto assets accounted for 73% or $264.26 million of commissions, which marked a massive 
2,259% increase compared to the $11.2 million reported in Q2 of 2020. Overall trading volumes are up 125% on Q2 2020 with Yanni Asia, the CEO and co-founder of eToro, noting in the announcement that the growth was underpinned by long-term secular trends in investor behavior and enabled by providing simple access to crypto via a user-friendly mobile interface along with financial education. The announcement reads, quote, Crypto assets drove total commissions in the second quarter of 2021, reflecting strong interest from retail investors in crypto markets. Interest was diversified across the cryptos offered by eToro with the highest trading volumes in Bitcoin and four other shitcoins, including Doge. Good God. The platform's trading activity has evolved drastically over the past 12 months. In Q2 2020, Data shows crypto represented 7% of commissions, while commodities and equities dominated with 45% and 41% respectively. By the second quarter of this year, commodities only accounted for 7% and equities represented only 18 eToro also posted large increases in other areas in Q2 as net trading income totaled $291 million, which marked a growth of 136% compared to last year. The user base also saw a significant boost with 2.6 million new registered users, up 121% compared to the second quarter of 2020. The platform is set to go public on the NASDAQ exchange via a $10 billion special purpose acquisition deal slated to close this quarter. Despite posting impressive growth, the firm reported negative net income of $89 million, which was attributed to a non-cash charge of $71 million in stock-based compensation for employees and $36 million in transaction costs related to the SPAC merge with FinTech Acquisition Corp. Wow. So... Even with all that, they still net a loss, whatever, dude. The the important part here is that uh, this shit is not going away. There is no way that the people from eToro, Goldman Sachs, Citigroup are going to let, let this dog loose. It it's, it's bringing them way too much money, which is kind of, it's not, okay, well, nothing's bad for Bitcoin, but the thing is, is that we're going to have to start dealing with, really, ah, how to say it, really going to have to come to terms with the fact that shit coins are not going to go away anytime soon. That doesn't mean go out and buy them because you're going to get wrecked if you do, because none of these people really know. Uh, it's Most of this stuff is just garbage. Right? There are very few examples of, of, of something that actually has, I don't know, a real at least attempt for decentralization. But 99.99% of this space is pure garbage. However, these assholes are making a fuck ton of money on pure garbage. They are not going to go down without a fight if U.S. regulators really start hitting hard. And I was always hoping that the U.S. regulators, if they were going to come after something, (coughs) if they were going to come after Bitcoin, they were going to have to blow their way through all this through this large field of pure garbage before they got even came close to Bitcoin. And now I'm not so sure it's going to play out that way, ladies and gentlemen, because when eToro is making 73% of their commission fees off of crypto trading, 
Yeah, they're gonna the lobby groups for crypto are probably gonna come along. Just if you wanna if you wanna keep your soul intact, don't go work for them. That's all I can really say about that. Now, Bitcoin magazine, Nomsios is writing this one. Companies now hold over 1.6 million Bitcoin, almost 8% of total supply. So in a different style of, you know, protection, uh, we've got companies that are also not going to just lay down if the United States government says, oh, we're going to ban Bitcoin or whatever. Michael Saylor will just pick up MicroStrategy and he will fucking move it to El Salvador or something like that. You watch. I don't think you're going to have to actually see that, though, because the more and more these companies hold Bitcoin, the more likely it is that they are going to protect Bitcoin from any legal stance that they can get. So here we go. <clears throat> companies with Bitcoin on their balance sheet now holds 1.6 million BTC, almost 8% of the total Bitcoin supply, according to data from Bitcoin treasuries. MicroStrategy leads the way with 108,900 Bitcoin being held, around half percent of the total supply, representing a whopping 75% of the software intelligence company's total market capitalization. Good God, and that's just in <clears throat> a little over one year. Tesla sits in second place, still holding 43,200 Bitcoin it acquired at the beginning of 2021. The electric car maker is followed by Square, Marathon Digital Holdings, and Coinbase. The fintech payment solution firm holds a little over 8,000 BTC, whereas the Bitcoin miner Mara has allocated 5,400 uh, BTC to its balance sheet. Coinbase, the largest U.S. exchange, comes up the top five with a shy 4,487 Bitcoin bag. Michael Saylor's MicroStrategy is the publicly traded company with the highest Bitcoin allocation, both in absolute terms and relative to its market cap. The software intelligence firm, which yesterday purchased an additional 3,900 Bitcoin for 177 million, has been leading the way in the corporate world with the simplest yet most effective pair of strategies, DCA and HODL. The firm's current Bitcoin bag of well over 108,000 BTC, which cost nearly $3 billion at the time of purchase, is now worth well over $5 billion and represents 75% of the total market capitalization of MicroStrategy. Currently at $7.12 billion, MicroStrategy's Bitcoin holdings have increased by nearly 180% in dollar terms and represents approximately half a percent of the total supply of the 21 million coin. Publicly traded companies, private firms, governments, and ETF-like offerings combined currently hold 1.6 million BTC per Bitcoin Treasury's data. Oh, you, oh God, you put in the, the, that same paragraph twice, guys. Dude, editing, editing. Given that most of the companies that added Bitcoin to their balance sheet did so in 2020 and 2021, the corporate Bitcoin accumulation race has just started as more firms realize what Bitcoin actually is and its unique probability or possibilities in the upcoming years. The race is set to heat up significantly, further drying up supply in the market. And while they don't realize that, the Bitcoin plebs can enjoy stacking sat cons sats consistently at lower prices. Mm -hmm. So with the amount of Bitcoin that's being held by private companies, family offices and all that kind of stuff, ladies and gentlemen. It's not going to be easy for the United States to say, you know what, we're just going to ban it. 
if it was just privately held by, you know, people like, you know, plebs, that's one thing. But now you've got companies that other companies are invested in and people, you know, equity holders like, you know, people buying stock equities on eToro or whatever. All those shareholders in MicroStrategy, then you've got all the shareholders in place, people like BlackRock that own a chunk of MicroStrategy. So when the government comes after like Bitcoin, MicroStrategy isn't the only one going to be screaming at the top of their lungs. It's going to be BlackRock. It's going to be all the equities holders. The entire thing would be tied up in courts for decades because the United States government would be saying, look, uh, we're going to ban Bitcoin. Bitcoin price plummets. All the equity holders that are holding you know, MicroStrategy stock, whether they're just private citizens or BlackRock or any of the other you know, corporate entities that hold black or a microstrategy stock on their balance sheet, all of them are going to be affected and none of them are going to be happy. You see what I'm saying? The ablative armor for Bitcoin comes in many different flavors. And I think that that's good. So while with that said, let's run the numbers. CNBC.com futures and commodities oil having a bad day uh West Texas intermediate down almost a full point to $67.72 Brent North Sea likewise down almost a full point to $71.62 and even though they're down they must have had a run up during the markets uh open markets yesterday because this is essentially the exact same price that I gave yesterday morning so it kind of seems bad but eh, maybe not Although natural gas is a point to the upside, uh, $3.93 per thousand cubic feet, and gasoline is at $2.28 a gallon, which is down a full point. Gold up 0 0.03, uh, it is still not broken above 1800 again, it's $1,791. Silver down a quarter, platinum down a half, copper down a half, palladium getting hit uh, to the downside 1.61%. Agricultural futures are mixed. There's not a whole lot of movement except for wheat, which is 1.1% to the upside. And indices, we've got Dow futures up 0 0.05. The S&P is down 0 0.06. The NASDAQ futures are down 0.14. And S&P mini is up 0 0.01. Looks like some sideways movement to me. Let's talk about real money. Yeah, we got hit $47,000, uh, actually technically $47,095.01 penny is what I'm getting on the Bitcoin price from bitinfocharts.com. 260,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives us 10,870 transactions on average every hour. And today we have 1.2 million BTC being sent around the horn in a 24 hour period. It was 1.1 yesterday. So we're still seeing an uptick here. The uh, We have 50,874 BTC being sent on average every hour. 4.68 BTC is the average transaction value. 0 0.016 BTC is the median transaction value. And that is about 738 bucks. Block times are starting to level out a little higher, but we're still low. 9 minutes and 17 seconds. 0 0.07 BTC have been taken in fees on a per block basis and 11.87 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. 
the difficulty, uh, let's see, the diff- not difficulty, the hash rate has increased by 6.42%. We are now at 136.15 exahashes per second. And your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin <clears throat> at 27.6 US pennies. Clark Moody's dashboard says 4,636 transactions are waiting on two blocks to clear. We have a market capitalization for Bitcoin of $883.3 billion, which is 7.59% of gold's entire market cap. And if you want shiny metal rocks, you can buy 26.3 ounces of them for one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,797,860.25 in circulation. 2,360 of those are locked up in the Lightning Network at a capacity value of $110.9 million, being run over 14,591 nodes and 66,787 payment channels. Tor percent or Tor capacity percentage has increased to yet another all-time high with 74.0% of all Lightning traffic running over the Tor network. That means that there's 1,745.5 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that's being run over 9,278 nodes that we know about. Clark Moody is showing a price of Bitcoin of $46,970 at this time. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Foreign buyers scramble to purchase U.S. debt. Let me say that again. Foreign buyers are scrambling to purchase the United States debt. This is Casey Wagner writing for BlockWorks. Despite inflation fears, foreign buyers are purchasing a staggering amount of United States debt. Foreign official entities took home $15.4 billion of the $41 billion, about 38%, available 10-year treasuries, the latest report from the August 11th auction shows. More than 60% of two-year notes went to foreign buyers, which is the highest in more than a decade. The increase in foreign buyers, many of which were likely foreign central banks, might be due to the fact that foreign central banks are eager to offload their foreign exchange reserve currency, USD, one analyst said. Quote, the United States' biggest export is inflation, (laughs) which means our biggest export is dollars, said Steve Van Mitre, founder of Steve Van Mitre Financial. Quote, foreign banks accumulate dollars, and when the banks have too many dollars, they convert them, with foreign central banks to get local currency. As dollars pile up in a foreign central bank, they, became, they become inflationary, end quote. Foreign central banks take foreign U.S. dollars and exchange them for treasury securities, which pay small amounts of interest, but are not inflationary, Van Mitre said. In a surprise move, <clears throat> this month's 10-year sale awarded notes at 1.34%, more than three basis points lower than the yield level level prior to the auction. This is the highest premium since 2012, guys. Two-year notes also sold two basis points higher from the previous auction in late July at an auction high yield of 0.24%. The Fed Fund's target rate is between 0 and 0.25%. Quote, 
when the global economy is expanding, you actually see an increase in purchases from foreign investors because they have too many dollars. And the opposite is also true, said Van Meter. When the global economy is contracting and foreign economies need dollars, they will sell the treasury securities. You have to think of the treasury securities almost as foreign central bank savings accounts. The rate is not a major concern for foreign central banks because they intend to hold the treasuries rather than sell for the foreseeable future, Van Meter said. Given the current state of the global economy and due to the existing repurchasing facilities, foreign players purchasing high amounts of U.S. debt is a trend likely to continue at future auctions. Quote, the Fed announced two stand-in repo facilities, domestic and foreign, said Van Meter. And if you own any treasury or agency-backed security, you need cash. It's like a payday loan. Go to the Fed, and for a quarter percent for a year, that's the interest cost, they will loan you cash on an overnight basis, end quote. Because bonds now have liquidity, there is little reason to anticipate lower rates of foreign debt purchasers. Refunding sales is a trend more commonly seen with the 10-year bonds as opposed to shorter-dated treasuries such as two-year notes. So there you go. They're racing to buy our debt, people. What does that mean? Well, I'm not an economist, and I certainly don't have a Nobel Prize like Krugman and his crew of miscreants. But I can tell you this. What it tells me is that the United States dollar is the last bullshit fiat, fiat currency to fall. It will be the last. Everybody's fiat currency will destroy itself or be destroyed by or cannibalized or destroyed by or whatever by some other foreign currency. And when all, when all the dominoes are finally fallen, the United States will still actually not be affected as much as the rest of the world. And this is not a good situation. It's better, I suppose, if you live in the United States, I guess, except for the weird, <clears throat> tyrannical bullshit that we're starting to see over here. But I sure as shit wouldn't want to be in any other country. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere on this planet at this point in my life if it wasn't for Bitcoin. We're going to have to go through the tunnel, like I said earlier in the show. There is a light at the end of it, but the way will be dark. Just prepare. I don't know what else to tell you, but I can tell you what <clears throat> Simon Nixon is doing. Billionaire Nixon's seek capital to boost its crypto investments. You today or you dot today has this one from Yuri Mulchin. <clears throat> now, as reported by Bloomberg, British entrepreneur Simon Nixon with a net worth of $1.2 billion in assets in the tech sector intends to boost his investments in crypto assets via his family office as crypto becomes more and more welcomed by the world's wealthy people. Hmm. Nixon's family office in London plans to hire a crypto analyst, oh God, Jesus, <laughs> who would be able to focus on the digital asset sector. The firm's managing director, Adam Proctor, also joined the company from the non-crypto financial sphere, leaving behind the private bank of Citigroup. Seat Capital's interest in crypto has been pretty high this year, despite the massive correction on the market when Bitcoin rebounded <clears throat> by over 50% in midsummer. However, Bitcoin has recently touched the $50,000 level again, and Ethereum and other shitcoins uh, have also begun rising as crypto adoption has been spreading more widely. 
Uh, Cardano, for example, has been added by Grayscale Investments as its third largest investment. Sorry about this, guys, but it's, I just got to read through it. Aside from hiring a crypto analyst, <clears throat> Seek Capital plans to boost its crypto portfolio. They believe this class of asset will be important in the future. According to a recent survey done by Goldman Sachs and cited by Bloomberg, almost 50% of the family offices that the banking giant works with want to invest in cryptocurrencies. They see crypto as a likely hedge against inflation that may increase in the future. Other billionaires are also seeking to boost their crypto holdings. In late fall 2020, Mexico-based Ricardo Salinas Poligio announced that he would put a large part of his liquid assets in the flagship cryptocurrency Bitcoin. Crypto Asset Group, which includes the family office of Mike Novogratz and Christian Engelmeyer, also intend to put $100 million in crypto assets in the next few years. Novogratz himself is an early investor in Bitcoin and Ethereum. He bought a shitcoin Ethereum back in 2015 from co-founder Vitalik Buterin when ETH was trading at 99 cents and was the first investor from Wall Street to do that. Yeah, I don't really care what Novogratz is doing. What I do care about is the notion of family offices getting into the game. You don't? You've been hearing a lot more about family offices, but I'll bet you you didn't know what one was before Bitcoin, did you? Well, let me tell you a little story about a really famous family office. The Kennedy family office. That's right, the Kennedys. The royalty of the United States in the 60s and the 70s. Um, Joseph P. Kennedy <clears throat> was a rat bastard made most of his money that started his, his professional career by running rum from Canada to the United States during Prohibition. Yeah, and then once he had that money, he didn't stop there. He started investing in the stock market. He was doing insider trading shit, and he actually ended up, I believe, becoming the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission or something like that. Basically, one of the top financial dogs. So he was... Rum, rum runner does well, I guess you could call it that. But the thing about it is, is that Joseph also didn't stop by insider trading, running rum and becoming the SEC chairperson. Oh, hell no. What did he do? He set up a series of trust funds for his family, not individual family members, mind you, but as a group, right? <clears throat> so it's called a dynasty trust. And the reason that the Kennedy's wealth is almost perfectly intact today is because the way the trust funds were structured, and there are several of them, and there's other instruments, okay? It's not just, a, it's not as easy as saying, we're going to just put it in a trust fund. No, 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 no. You kind of got to manage it. But the effect is the following. The dynasty trust of the Kennedy families is largely intact because that dynasty trust allows you to pass wealth from one heir to the next heir to the next heir to the next heir and completely, almost completely mitigate estate tax, the death tax, right? Because the family office is a unit and the children and the children, the grandchildren and the great grandchildren just take control of managing the office, right? And then the rest of the family benefits through basically having shares of the company that is the family office. Com almost completely mitigates the estate tax in the United States. <clears throat> I would like to see Jeff Vandrew 
get really if you don't know who he is he's a key keeper uh key keeper ira he's down there in austin real good dude met him over at bitblock boom last year um <clears throat> real good dude sets up a set up uh will set you up with a self-directed ira in bitcoin but what I'd like to see is the plebs have a shot at being able to set up dynasty trusts to mitigate the estate tax. Because if you're just going to die the regular death of a United States citizen, the United States government, especially with this crew of miscreants in, is going to wipe your ass out and there's just nothing to leave to your kids. So you're going to want to protect yourself. I don't think Jeff Andrew has a product such as a dynasty trust. But I don't know, ping him on Twitter. It's Jeff Vandrew. I think that's just at Jeff Vandrew, V-A-N-D-R-E-W or something like that. Keykeeperira.com, I believe, is a website. Hit him up. Say, I'm interested in a dy dynasty trust for passing on wealth like a family office does. And let's see if we can build one. I don't know. I mean, I, God know, I don't know how to do it. Jeff probably does. And if anybody, you know, I'd rather see him do it than some, you know, ETH head. OnlyFans reverses decision to ban porn after assurances from banking partners, which is in quotes by this piece from Martin Young out of Cointelegraph. OnlyFans has made a sharp U-turn in its decision to ban sexually explicit content after it received backlash from creators and some new assurances from at least one bank suffering bad PR. The platform <clears throat> became wildly popular by connecting online sex, sex workers to subscribers, but this has not gone down well with a number of major banks. The firm was forced to change its policy on August the 19th to prohibit sexually explicit conduct following pressure from the Bank of New York Mellon, Metro Bank, and J.P. Morgan Chase, who refused to provide services to users of the platform. In a tweet on August the 25th, OnlyFans stated that it has now reversed this decision and it will continue to provide a home for all creators. As OnlyFans spokesperson told TechCrunch, quote, the proposed October 1st, 2021 changes are no longer required due to banking partners' assurances that OnlyFans can support all genres of, of creators, end quote. <clears throat> However, the official statement merely says it's suspended. The policy, which suggests the policy may be reintroduced at a later date if the assurances aren't backed up in reality. The decision to ban sexually explicit content has frustrated sex workers who rely on the platform to support themselves financially, especially during pandemic-induced lockdowns. Following the decision, some creators have already deleted their OnlyFans accounts and moved to alternative services. At the time of the initial announcement, founder and CEO of OnlyFans, Tim Stokely... <laughs> Stokely, Tim Strokely, <laughs> whatever, stated that the firm pays over 1 million creators more than $300 million every month, adding, quote, making sure that these funds get to creators involves using the banking sector, end quote. Speaking to the Financial Times this week, Strokely, no, it's actually Stokely, but he's Stokely named J.P. Morgan Chase, or J.P. Morgan in particular, as being aggressive in closing accounts of sex workers or any business that supports them. It appears that OnlyFans was able to find a resolution to the issue with at least one bank after widespread publicity about the matter. In 2019, or sorry, OnlyFans was founded in 2016 and claims to have more than 130 million registered users and 2 million creators. Wow, man, that's like, that's a lot. So we don't know who the bank, quote, banking partner is. Is it 
a U.S. registered financial entity that's offshore. I don't know. I, that's the only way that I can see it actually happening. Uh, cause that bank is going to have banking relationships with JP Morgan. And if JP Morgan's doing this to OnlyFans, they, they're not going to give a shit about a smaller bank. They're not going to care. These people don't like you. Now, <clears throat> look, you can say whatever you want about the, you know, about the porn industry. It's like shit coins, not going to go away. It's been around for a long time, y'all. A lot longer than movies. Uh, it's been around before photographs. Come on, man. Dude, just be real with yourself. But what it does demonstrate <clears throat> is the ability for a group of people to decide that they don't want you to have financial access. And they can just shut you down now. It didn't used to be this easy, but it's pretty easy now. And you're going you're gonna to see more of this crap. Again, the tunnel will be dark. Bitcoin is the light at the end of that tunnel. You can use your Bitcoin to improve everyone's health. <laughs> Bitcoin Magazine, Mark Mar Maria? Mar Mariah, M-A-R-A-I-A. -A. Uh, okay, let's just get into it. I found it interesting that in the early days of Bitcoin, people gave this magic internet money away and even set up Bitcoin faucets for the purpose. Roger Ver was one of the first, and from what I can tell, was very generous in giving away Bitcoin. So was Gavin Andreessen. Regardless of how the Bitcoin community feels about these two now, giving away Bitcoin was vital to growing the network in the early days, and we're deeply indebted to them for doing so. I know, you're probably gagging. I, I get it. I contend that Bitcoin faucets are equally, if not more, important today, no matter the price. Why? Because it gets people off zero. If you believe, as I do, that Bitcoin is a lifeboat, we want as many people who can transact in Satoshis as possible to do so. Faucets can be found in online games today and other inane uses, <clears throat> but I cannot find any that serve the purpose that I propose. So my question to the Bitcoin community is this. Why don't more, more Bitcoiners set up Bitcoin faucets that support causes and people that they value? Problems in our worlds don't, or world don't fix themselves. Invest in what you value the most. For example, I was an impact investor who supported small farmers years before I made any investment in Bitcoin. About five years ago, my family made a sizable donation to Slow Money, which supports small farmers in Colorado. Unfortunately, we donated the melting ice cube of U.S. dollars. My thinking was and still is this. Small farmers and gardeners are the unsung heroes in our healthcare system. Invest in what you value most in your community. In my case, I value health above wealth. I value clean air, clean soil, clean water, clean food, nutrient-dense and toxin-free food, clean energy, and clean ecosystems. Those happen to be things that our fiat monetary system does not value. If anything, fiat is hostile and harmful to all of them. If that's true, then I must put my money where my mouth is and do it now. The problem of depleted soil and nutritionally bankrupt food will not fix itself and it's rapidly getting worse. Money that venerates consumption over restoration and resilience does great harm to every ecosystem humans need to thrive. According to Dr. Max Gerson, who pioneered the Gerson Protocol, which reverses cancer and other illnesses with nutrient-dense organic food, quote, the, the soil is our external metabolism. <clears throat> as bad as our knowledge gaps are around money, the knowledge gaps we have around soil health in our culture are even worse, and soil health will directly impact community health. We've all heard the phrase food is medicine. Well, take it a step further to say soil is medicine. 
Healthy soil begets healthy food, which begets healthy immune systems. With all that context, as context, you may wonder how hard would it be to set up a soil guardian Bitcoin faucet? I don't know. But I'm not waiting around for someone to start one. Instead, a young urban farmer based in Lakewood, Colorado, came to me looking to raise U.S. dollars from investors. And instead, I offered to put Bitcoin on his balance sheet. He accepted immediately, but he knew nothing about Bitcoin at the time that I made the offer. Once he did his homework, he was very excited by the offer. No orange pill needed, thank you. We've since met in person. I've toured his farm and we've got him using Open Dime. Many thanks to Nick Carter for the idea from watching his podcast with Lex Friedman to hold the private keys to his Bitcoin <clears throat> and an agreement to not touch it for at least one year. One more Bitcoiner added to the network and a community healthcare hero to boot. And I wasn't bashful about telling him I considered him and others who practice restorative agriculture to be the healthcare heroes of the most valuable kind. <clears throat> In addition, I've asked him to think about which of his peers might we do this with next. He is going to think about it and we'll do the next one together. We will go through the same process with the next small farmer restoring soil <clears throat> in our community. And once that is done, the three of us will select the fourth recipient and so forth, peer to peer. Rinse and repeat until every small farmer in Colorado has Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Now that's something that I'd love to see go viral. My passion for helping small farmers springs from my involvement in slow money. One of the big ideas I heard attending my first slow money gathering in 2013 was, quote, <clears throat> if you're working on a project that can be accomplished in your lifetime, you're not thinking big enough, end quote. Instead of adopt a highway, why not adopt a small farmer in your community? Put Bitcoin on his or her balance sheet. I don't know if we'll do this for every small farmer in my lifetime, but the way is clear. The health benefits to our community are 100x better than lobbying the government for subsidies. For those of you interested in starting a soil guardian faucet in your community, please contact me at <clears throat> contact me and I'll share what I know and how I did it. I don't know how many peer-to-peer -peer soil garden faucets will be needed to support the small farmers in Colorado, but I'm willing to be one of them. My only hope is we start thousands of them in every state. The impact on our health by supporting thousands of small farmers can never be overstated. Instead of donating U.S. dollars that tend to promote debt slavery and overconsumption, why not donate Bitcoin and promote freedom and resilience? I'm all for hodling, and I expect that to be the predominant mindset for most Bitcoiners. However, for the boomers with wealth and those who operate from abundance, I issue this challenge. Why wait to begin to address the structural problems like soil depletion, living water, nutritionally bankrupt food, and a host of other problems that will only get worse if we wait? The old adage applies here, if not now, when? If not you, who? I stand ready to assist anyone who is willing to join me on this journey. Bitcoiners can transform our disease care system into a true health care system. All it takes is 10,000 Bitcoin faucets of all types. Nice. I'm glad to see that there's more agricultural mindsets flowing into this space. That's going to be important. So again, this guy's name is Mark Mar Mararia. Sorry, man. Maraia. I cannot pronounce it. I'm not even going to try a third time. It's just embarrassing me. But again, this uh, this is from Bitcoin Magazine, and the title is "You Can Use Your Bitcoin to Improve Everyone's Health." Get in contact with Mark. 
and uh, might want to tap untapped growth shoulder uh, to get him in touch with this Mark guy because there's probably some synergy there if untapped growth has any more energy to spare right now. He's a, from what I understand, he's just a little busy. But <clears throat> Binance is incapable of effective supervision, says a British regulator. I'm just going to read the headline because I thought it was so funny. It's like a, it's like a penchant, or it's like a, not, a, a petulant child, apparently, is how they look at, at Binance because they keep rotating where their offices are headquartered so that they can escape uh, regulation. And I, so I don't know. Binance is huge. As far as I can tell, it's the it's the the largest exchange, and this may be in you know this may be why the price dropped this morning because this thing came out just like a couple of hours ago, so I don't know. But I want I definitely want to move on to this one. The court says coins from Bitcoin SV hack can't be transferred. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to bring that up to remind everybody that BSV got fifty one percented in July, and it allowed a whole shit ton of people to double spend coins. If you are holding BSV, you need to get out now. This is, you don't want to have anything to do with Craig Wright to begin with, and you sure as shit don't want anything to do with the BSV chain. First of all, shit coin, get out of all of them. Second of all, of all the shit coins, this is absolutely one of the dirtiest, most scummiest, crappiest, most misaligned bullshit shit chains that there ever will be. Get out, get out now. If if you can find somebody willing to buy your bags of crap of Bitcoin SV, man, you need to do that shit real quick. That's gonna do it for the morning roundup. Do a joke. Dad says jokes. I met my wife on Tinder. That was awkward. Yes, sir. I'll bet it was. <clears throat> if you want to support the show, use Breeze Wallet. Listen to the podcast in the podcasting app through Breeze Wallet. Uh, there are several different podcasting apps uh, available that do podcasting 2.0. When you do, you support me, you support the show, you support the plebs, you support Podcasting 2.0 started by Adam Curry. You support a lot of stuff by using Podcasting 2.0 and you do it all at the same time by streaming MeSats while you listen to these dulcet tones. They stream right to my lightning wallet in my lightning node and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.